2: Hello, and welcome to Foot Candle Films. I'm your host, Chris Fry, and I'm here with Alan Jackson. Hello, everybody. How you all doing? And today, we are excited that we're going to be talking about Wes Anderson's newest film, Moonrise Kingdom, as well as we're going to dissect his filmography, do some movie news and gossip, I guess you could call it, and also recommend some films. <laughs> movie you- gossip.
1: Hey. I love that. So, yeah. yes, we're going to gossip <laughs> about movies. I think that's we'll a buzzword, here, so. gossip. Yeah, absolutely. Movie.
2: Right. But then we're also going to give some recommendations to some films that you might want to check out. We do want to recognize our sponsor for this show, which is Main Cellar City Club.
1: Yeah, right here in Hickory, North Carolina, the Main Cellar City Club, downtown Hickory. Uh, I tell you what we 've had the pleasure of getting to work with this place for a few months now and go and cover some of their events and some of their performances. Just a great facility, a really nice venue where it 's not it's not you know, it 's uh, just the right size yeah. for a really good band experience and I think yeah, they get a few hundred people in there great little experience they 've got some great bands that have come uh, in the past in the future. I know little river bands coming out there bad company uh we 've gotten to go I think we saw Brett Michaels there and got yeah. to do some interview work it's just a really nice little facility plus they open it up to other other groups and, and events as well so main Sailor city club thank you so much for the uh, the
2: support this month we are going to start off the show with our review of moonrise kingdom dear suji here's my plan dear sam my answer is yes dear suji one dear sam where dear suji Walk 400 yards due north from your house through the dirt path which has not got any name on it. Turn right and follow to the end. I will meet you in the meadow.
0: Who's missing? Shukuski, you in there? Jiminy Crickety flew the coop.
1: Chris, if you look up Moonrise Kingdom on IMDb, which uh, might as well just be my homepage (laughs) when I open up uh, my web browser.
2: They are a good source.
1: Yes. When you look at Moonrise Kingdom and you have the little one-line description summary, this is what it says. A pair of young lovers flee their New England town, which causes a local search party to fan out and find them. Wow. That is probably the most simplified (laughs) sentence about this film that I've heard described, but... At its core, yes, that's the story. We do have a story of two young lovers, uh, probably in the 13, 14 age group, would you say, maybe? Sure. Uh, that we find out have fallen in love and run off together, and this is about the impact that it has on the rest of the town around them and all the people that are connected with their lives. Then you throw in the fact that it's directed by Wes Anderson, who, mm-hmm. no no, uh, no, hiding the fact here. I'm a huge fan of, of this director. I think you are as well. Um, I'm very enamored with many of his films, which I think we'll talk about probably later in the segment. But Wes Anderson has put together Moonrise Kingdom, starring many character actors that, that he's never worked with before, including Bruce Willis, Ed Norton, Tilda Swinton, Francis McDormand. Uh, and then he's got his usual cast of characters, <laughs> Bill Murray, Jason Schwartzman. Uh, I know there's a couple other mix in there as well. Sure. People that he's worked with okay, uh, in many of his films in the past. You mix all this together. you got some big-name star power. You've got some interesting actors. You've got a fairly simple plot line, Mm -hmm. uh, just like I described in that one sentence. But you've got the Wes Anderson style that mixes in everything together. So, throwing all this concoction in the mix, this film has gotten a lot of critical buzz. Many people claiming it's one of Wes Anderson's best films. So, Chris... I've thrown a whole lot in the stew for you here. I've laid out every element about this film. You and I both came in with probably higher expectations than most of the movie going public would have. True. Did this meet those high expectations? Did the mix in the stew work for you? The
2: the mix worked. Um, It was... Nice to see him working again with you know actual actors as opposed to the stop motion stuff that he did. That with. he did
1: in Fantastic, Fantastic Mr. Fox, which was a really good movie, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Sure. But I in my opinion.
2: Um, so it was it was nice to see him uh, working in film again, and it was nice to see him working with Bill Murray and uh, with Jason Schwartzman, like you said, who he's worked with before. Um, I liked the movie, but it, like you're saying, with expectations because. Basically, it could be boiled down to Romeo and Juliet done by somebody with OCD. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, you know, that's what this tale is. It's like, you know, two people that are love- want to love each other and want to be together, but people try to keep them apart. So right. it is very stereotypical. But what makes it unique is the fact that, yes, Wes Anderson is very tightly controlled, very detail oriented, very obsessed about stuff. So that's what makes it unique. I found that enjoyable, but in a way, his OCD to me got in the way and actually made it a little less interesting than it could have been. Hmm. Um, And I'll try to give you some examples. Basically he was so detail oriented in setting up shots and with colors, which were, you know, it was very, it was a very beautiful film. Mm -hmm. The cinematography was excellent. You know, the types of shots he used, but to me it just kind of jumped out so much that this is so tightly controlled and so locked down, even though it was very creative. But it kind of took away from something, spending time with the characters and actually getting some clever dialogue or some some dialogue, actually. I found myself missing that. Now, I don't know if that's because this movie does rely on young actors to deliver some lines. And they, they do, and they do fine. I thought they were good. But a lot of times we have some walk it because they are running away in this film. They're running away from the you know powers that be. And there's a lot of like scenery shots and them kind of walking away, and it's I felt like i I missed out on some dialogue because of the limitations of the young actors now the the stuff they did deliver, I thought was fine, but I just wanted to spend more time learning about them through dialogue, and I didn't get that
1: so would the cliche apply in your opinion of it truly maybe was more style over substance where because of the visual flair and the detail and the, the 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 attention paid to all that, it kind of overshadowed the actual story and the characters and getting to know them.
2: Yes, okay. that is a very good. Did way I just to, sum up your yes, opinion yes. in a nutshell? It was, there, so. I like I like his style, right? But other, but there wasn't a lot there after Style it was huh. very, and in his other movies, he's always had style. But I've always thought there was a lot more to chew on per se. Yeah. And even though some people complain that some of the stuff gets redundant, but there just wasn't a lot there after the style was taken away for me.
1: I I agree. The style was very prominent. And I wonder how this film, if it would have been interesting at all, if it didn't have the Wes Anderson style applied to it. Uh, I do disagree with you in that I thought the characters worked for me. I actually was okay with the level of dialogue and the depth that we got to know these characters. There are a lot of characters. This is a big ensemble film. Uh, You know, you've got Ed Norton as the scoutmaster, one whole side of the story there. You've got Bill Murray and Frances McDormand playing the parents of the daughter or the girl, and that's a whole other story. Then you've got um, Captain Sharp, and played by Bruce Willis, Mm -hmm. a whole other kind of story there. There's a lot going on. Uh, I thought for an hour and a half movie with this many characters packed in— they covered everybody pretty well. I felt, I, I felt like I knew the characters fairly well. So I was happy with that. I do agree. The style. I think the, the Wes Anderson style was probably an overdrive in this film, even more so than his other films. And it
2: was detracting for me.
1: It was distracting for you. It wasn't for me. I liked it. I, I, I really liked that. He almost amped up the things that I've, I've seen him <laughs> do in his previous films. Um I liked All the performances, I thought they were all really solid. There wasn't anybody I thought was a weak link here. Um, The two kid actors, I mean, they were both first-time actors in a a movie. I did look that up, and they have not done anything else. And I thought, considering that and considering they're working in a very stylized movie, I thought Mm -hmm. they did a fine job with it. Um, Bruce Willis played great. I thought Bill Murray did great. I mean, everybody played a really good role, a really interesting role, in my opinion. The only argument I've got with this film, the only criticism I have, is that I knew going into this and predicted what this film was going to be like. And it was exactly what I would have expected and predicted. That's my only complaint with it. I think we've even talked about in the past with Wes Anderson that we kind of want him to do something different. We want to do something interesting and unique. That's my biggest really my sole main complaint with this film is that I knew exactly what it was going to be like. I knew exactly where it was going to go and I had a pretty good idea how it was going to end. Sure. And he matched all those expectations. I wish he wouldn't have. Sometimes I wish he would have thrown it down a completely different path style wise than what I expected. Maybe we'll get that film from him in the future. Maybe he doesn't have it in him. I don't know. That's my only complaint, Hmm. but I did like the film a lot I thought it was a very strong Wes Anderson film. I just wish it wasn't so much of a Wes Anderson film that I knew exactly what was going to happen. Almost every scene I knew the direction it was going to go. Um, That's my only complaint. But there again, I can't fault it for it's not a bad film. It's a great film. I really, really like this film. I just, I wish I'd been challenged a little bit more than what I was expecting.
2: Well, and and I, yeah. And I, I get, think you and I are basically on the same page. It sounds like we, we both like the film a lot, We both had different areas where we were kind of let down. The predictability actually didn't bother me as much as I felt like when I go see a Wes Wes Anderson movie, there's certain kind of scenes or setups that you just come to expect, like really clever dialogue delivered by some of his usual suspects. Mm -hmm. And I was let down that I didn't feel like those elements were there. Hmm. Like Bill Murray, I felt like had very little to do. And it I was, was I was let role. down because I was yeah. really excited about him being in it because he's been in all the movies except his first one, Jason Schwartzman. When he, that's the, <laughs> I expected more moments like that because Jason
1: he roles really and, really good. And
2: that was Wes Anderson y to me and yeah. was awesome. And I wanted more of that. And like, actually when I saw him come on the screen, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. this is going to be, this is going to be good. And sure enough, it was. And I, I wanted more elements of that. I guess, actually, Bruce Willis and Ed Norton, they did – I thought they did good jobs. I really liked their performances. But something about it, it was like they were taken almost out of another movie, like a well, Tim Burton movie. Or something. I'll
1: tell you what it is. <laughs> to me, Bruce Willis, uh, the, the Captain Sharp character, and then the bishops, Bill Murray and Francis McDormand, they were the three probably relatively normal characters yeah. in the film. They didn't have too many odd quirks to them. Um, and I think they were almost the straight characters in a way in the film. They they were fairly one note to yeah. them. I do think Ed Norton's Scoutmaster Ward was a little bit more of an interesting character just because... Yeah, he's just a guy who's really into scouting, and I thought they played that really well. They didn't play him as a buffoon. They didn't play him, uh, I think, derogatory. I thought he was a really, really good, interesting character. I liked his scenes a lot. I did, too. I think once you got outside those core three or four people, everybody else was a very interesting, unique character take but the core people were fairly straightforward there wasn't a whole lot to them uh you look at harvey Keitel, who uh, i I'm probably just spoiled it for everybody who didn't know he was in the film <laughs> but he's in there towards the end sure. commander pierce with the khaki scouts and he had a very exaggerated very uh very uh flashy role mm-hmm. then you had tilda swinton who also a very small role as social services that was her name in the character in the movie and you know this,
2: uh, let me on yeah. that i Even though she played a very similar role to how she's been doing things in other movies as like a government official or a very, Mm -hmm. you know, like cold person, I actually found her performance to be very like a warm cold person. I know that doesn't make any sense, but like, I guess because she knew she was playing it for comedy, it came across like, I was like, wow, I didn't know she had that in her. I've always to seeing
1: Tilda Swinton play something for, for kind of for fun, for laughs. And her role was very exaggerated, almost cartoonish in a way to some degree. Um, and then even throwing in Jason Schwartzman, which I agree. Yeah. I think his cousin Ben character was, <laughs> was awesome. probably the highlight of the <laughs> film. That five minutes that he's in the film there was just great. And then our two, our two leads, I thought, were, uh, did, did a fine job for being a you know, 13-year-old actor and actress. Right. Um, so it was a mix. You know, it was, a, it was Not every character worked. Not every character was a typical Wes Anderson character. It was a mix b- between them. But there again, for me... All of that worked. I just wish I had been challenged a little bit more with Wes Anderson style and thrown a curveball here and there instead of getting getting the almost model Wes Anderson film, which is what I thought this was. I think if somebody were to say, Chris, describe for me a Wes Anderson film, Moonrise Kingdom would be about the closest film to your ideal description of a Wes Anderson film I think that they could have made. Right. So that's my only argument with it, is I just I still want something different from him. But I'm still very happy with what he's doing. <laughs> I still yeah. enjoy what he's doing. I just wish he would do something different.
2: So. Right. Because you can tell looking at the film, he's talented. He's oh, got absolutely. a good eye. You just wish that the films maybe wouldn't be so similar. You yes. step outside his comfort. That's a right.
1: Bit. Chris, can I just ask you, uh, you know, are there some standout scenes for you or standout moments or touches on the film that really, really worked for you? And were there some, some items that just completely fell flat and you thought were a, a, a real miscue.
2: You know, I guess that's why I'm also a little let down because standout scenes there weren't that I, many. I, they weren't that many for me. No. Um, the he, you know he specializes in tracking shots. The tracking shot of the house that um, the Bill Murray character of yes. that family's house that was really you know cool it's basically for me. they set
1: up the set where it's the cross section of a house in a way, and the camera moves through the house to show you the layout of the house, but really it's a set. It's not a true. They're not actually moving through walls and ceilings. It's Wes Anderson does this by setting up a cross section of a house set and pans across it.
2: And it comes back, keeps coming back to the girl, Susie, with binoculars. And there's yes. a reason behind that. And it's so I liked that. But other than that, I. You know, and then
1: Cousin Ben, you said you like that whole oh, scene. Oh, yeah, I like yeah. that scene,
2: but not specifically how it was shot. But other than that, you know that that's kind of it. So nothing Mm -hmm. sticks out to me where I can pinpoint other things and other films of his that I've liked, which we'll talk about. There
1: was something about, you mentioned the binoculars, all the scenes where Susie and in some cases, the young boy too, are looking through the binoculars. Mm -hmm. Something about those scenes. I I don't know why, I guess rear window being one of my favorite Ah. movies too. I like that. I like the touch that directors put when you're viewing through the eyes of somebody else with a telescope or binoculars, something works with that with me. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of those scenes. I thought those were well done. Um, And just something about him. I I enjoyed those scenes. Uh, There was one scene towards the middle of the film where uh, Susie and Sam, the two kids, Mm -hmm. they've escaped to this cove, this bay that's going to be their little private getaway area. Mm -hmm. And they have a discussion on top of a overlook that's, it was very, it didn't, it it, it was the least Wes Anderson looking scene I've seen of his in a while Mm -hmm. where it was really nice close ups of the two of them as they're talking to each other. And the the dialogue seemed a little more natural than normal Wes Anderson dialogue. It was a nice scene. It was just two kids really talking, and you just got the sense, these are 13-year-old kids, and this is probably the way they would talk to each other about mm. these things. A couple of those little scenes I really liked a lot. Um, I thought worked for me. Uh, any, any moments that just you thought were really badly done or miscued?
2: I guess... It's hard to explain, but when they're making their journey, when they're running away, because they kind of have this one stretch where they're doing a lot of running away, there were a lot more like non-dialogue and just kind of like music playing Mm. and seeing. And that, for some reason, that didn't work for me. I guess because I was frustrated because I wanted to hear more for the children. Yeah. And there were some throwaway lines, but I wanted more like development. And maybe it's just because he normally doesn't do those type scenes of pretty scenery. You know, he's more like fancy shots or something. I don't know those hmm. kind of didn't work for me. I yeah. guess that was in a, the first third of the film when that hmm. was happening.
1: Interesting. There was, there was one moment in the scene uh, in, or one scene in the film again with Sam and Susie, the, the two kids um, probably the closest it got to, you know, sexual uh, contact and encounter. I, I just thought it was a little out of place. Um, hmm. I thought the movie had such a, I don't know. The movie had such a level of innocence and and all to it. And then that scene started to get a little on the creepy side for a moment, just a bit, Um, although it was still handled very well. I think what I think what Wes Anderson was trying to show us is these two kids are extremely mature, probably more mature than a lot of the adults that are around them that are dealing with. Affairs and other things happening. But yet here these two are, and they start to have some level of intimacy and they're actually very mature and adult about it. Right. That's, I know what he was going for. I just thought it was a little bit of an awkward it was a little scene. strange. It changed the tone a bit of the film. And I don't, I didn't know if that worked as well, but otherwise I thought everything else was great. I'm with you. There weren't that many standout scenes that just burned in your brain. You remember, and you want to go back and watch again. It was more of a, this is a complete film to me. It worked start to finish. It was a whole film. It did not have those extremely great standout moments like some other films of his do. But I also don't think that it had too many areas that fell really flat either. It was just a good, complete film start to finish. Uh, I just wish it had been a little different from him. Agreed. Yeah. So that's Moonrise Kingdom. That is still out in uh, some form of release as we as we talk about this here. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Definitely if you are a Wes Anderson f- uh, fan, it's, a, it's obviously a good entry into his filmography, something to go check out and see. Now, we're going to just change gears a little bit here, I guess, as we've talked about Moonrise Kingdom now, his latest film, and we've talked a lot about Wes Anderson. We mentioned a lot about his style. So I thought it might be a good time for us, Chris, to... Let's talk a little bit about Wes Anderson himself. Sure. This is now his, I believe, his sixth movie. I'm going to have to pull that up and kind of see if I'm correct on that. But if I remember and can't carab- Okay, Bottle Rocket's the Bottle one I keep Rocket? forgetting. Yeah. So Bottle Started out his career in 1996 with a film called Bottle Rocket, followed by Rushmore, The Royal Tenenbaums, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, The Darjeeling Limited, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and now Moonrise Kingdom. So six live action films, one animated film, Bill Murray is in every film except for bottle rocket. Right. Uh, he started working with Wes Anderson and Rushmore and has been pretty prominent in most of the films with the exception of the Dar- Dar- Darging limited. He had a very, very quick role at the very beginning, uh, before the credit sequence, I believe, um, fantastic. Mr. Fox get a, a decent role, yeah. not a huge role, but a decent role there. um, and a few other things about Wes Anderson. I mean, he's he's a Texan guy. He's uh, got a just a very interesting visual style, as we alluded to in our review. Uh, I still think one of the favorite things I've seen him do was actually the American Express commercial that yes. he directed, which was yes. awesome. Yes. Very, very nicely done. Uh, I recommend, if you haven't seen it, probably do a search online, YouTube, or somewhere you can see it. Uh, it's a good one- to two-minute long extended commercial for American Express that – He weaves in every element of his visual style into Mm -hmm. this this two-minute piece.
0: Unless my calculations are incorrect, the data processor, where'd you get that pen? This? Champion gave it to me. It's just a ballpoint pen. Why is it blinking? I don't know. Boom! Francois. Cut! Cut!
2: Cut! Not enough smoke and the snow was too loud. We'll go again right away.
1: I've blown up buildings, hunted sharks, crashed airplanes, and flown Anyway,
0: American Express commercial, here we go. Can I get my snack? You're you're eating it. Making movies. How do you do it? What's it like? Let me just tell these guys one thing. It sounds fake. Why would I put on a hat if my best friend is you. you, I'm I'm telling you, it sounds fake.
1: And you get to know a little bit about him in that piece as well. That's the first time I can remember seeing him on camera. Mm -hmm. He's talking to the camera a little bit about his style as a director. I thought it was just if you want to get to know Wes Anderson, you need to watch that American Express piece. And that (laughs) will give you in a very quick moment of time that all you need to know about him. So as we talk about Wes Anderson, we talk about his, his filmography in general. We're not talking about a huge, deep filmography where we're going 20 years, 30 years deep on this. It's a very manageable size. Yeah. So, Chris, knowing that, why don't you talk us through, what what, if, what is
2: your favorite film of Wes Anderson, of all the ones he's done, and why? Probably, actually, would be Fantastic Mr. Fox. Wow. Okay. And the reasoning behind but it's it's hard to say, because all of his films kind of form one big unit. It's hard for me to kind of separate them, because they're bits and pieces of his movies that I like way above, beyond, like, other movies, but it's like, to say one of his movies stands above all the rest, I it's hard for me to say that. The reason I'd say Fantastic Mr. Fox, because I saw it with my kids, oh, and it was God. getting to take them to a Wes Anderson movie, Definitely. and it was good, and at the time, it was different, because yes. he had never, and so it's like, thank God, he's not just talking about families with problems or, like, quirky characters. These are animals, and, you know, so they were still strange, but, you know, so I think Fantastic Mr. Fox would probably be my favorite Wes Anderson. But then I guess you have to qualify that with what's my favorite non-kid Wes Anderson. Mm -hmm. And I guess it'd be the stereotypical Rushmore.
1: The Rushmore is probably what you consider to be one of his finest pieces. Although I'm with you. Fantastic Mr. Fox. It's not my absolute favorite of his. It's probably my third favorite out of seven, but still considering it's a stop motion animation film, more of a family film. I I thought, you know, for it to be that high on my list is pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, I've got to go with the Royal Tenenbaums. That is still my absolute favorite Wes Anderson film. I don't know. Just for me, everything was clicking in that film. Both the characters. There were some moments that were honestly extremely touching for me in that film. Mm -hmm. Some moments I can still quote and just remember uh, from a comedic standpoint. And Mm -hmm. to me, that film, that's where he hit his, his peak in my mind uh, followed fairly closely by Rushmore. I still feel like that's, that's one of his best efforts as well.
2: Yeah. I, Royal Tannenbaums and Rushmore kind of go back and forth for mm-hmm. me. Um, as far as like what I would say my top one was, I guess I thought Rushmore overall was like funnier. If I was just going for like a comedy, mm-hmm. it was overall funny sure. Whereas Tannenbaums had a lot more, I guess, seriousness to it.
1: Yeah. Royal Tannenbaums definitely had some, some more serious o- uh, overtones on it. But, um, I just think as a complete picture, start to finish Royal Tannenbaums works. Um, now to, make,
2: that, mm, to, to make a yeah. note about Tannenbaum is one of the things that I liked about it. There were a lot of characters in there. I mean, it's yes. talking about a family, you know, you've got, you know, the three kids, you know, you've got a lot of different people, a lot of the big rest who've come to be Wes Anderson, normal people like Jason Schwartzman and Owen Wilson and everything, but they still managed. I felt like to fully develop them and they all kind of, it was an ensemble cast, but yet I felt like it was a well done. They all had like equal time and it, it worked. Mm-hmm. Moonrise Kingdom. I thought because it had so many stars in a way, like you were saying earlier, things kind of fell away and it was an mm. ensemble cast, but people didn't have equal time and it was frustrating. I didn't feel that way with Royal Tannenbaum. Hmm. So,
1: well, I think Royal Tannenbaum might've actually been a much longer film too. So well, I think they gave a okay. little more room to breathe in that too. Probably. Know, possibly. You All know. right. So what, what of the films that we listed? Those seven are, is your least favorite? Which one do you think just didn't work for you? Well,
2: the one that I remember being the most frustrated with was, uh, life aquatic mm. and the, thing is do i rank that below bottle rocket (laughs) Mm -hmm. and if i don't know so i guess it's a probably frustration wise it would be life aquatic was my least Mm -hmm. least favorite because of that movie i don't remember even laughing that much honestly Mm -hmm. and there again one of the coolest things was just the shot of the submarine with all the different sections and everything and that was that was cool well, the, Dar,
1: the Darjeeling Limited was my is my least favorite one, uh, just because I think at that point when I saw that film, I was so anxious and ready for him to do something different. And uh-huh. I felt like Darjeeling Limited was I'm just going to add more Wes Anderson pixie dust to a film. <laughs> and as long as I throw my Owen Wilson and my Jason Schwartzman in there, everything's going to work and it's going to be fun. And I thought it it just didn't work for me at all. It was uh, the only things I enjoyed about that film was some of the travel footage of them as their as their train is journeying through these countries. But the
2: rest of it just didn't work. See, I I I think I liked that film a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, It comes out, you know, it's it's actually torn which I like better that film or Moonrise Kingdom. Mm, Actually. Um, I really liked Darjeeling Limited. Now, granted, I've only seen it once, but I really responded to it positively when I saw it. Not that it's – it doesn't step outside the box. None of his films do. They kind of all stay the same except for Fantastic Mr. Fox. But I think there were sequences in there that I really liked. And music music has always been a big part of his movies and like whether he uses classical or pop music or whatever – and specifically, Darjeeling Limited, the sequence where he uses the uh, the kink song, Strangers or whatever, and mm-hmm. they're doing the slow motion thing. That was so effective to me. So effective yeah. for me. And I really like that. Whereas, like, for example, in Moonrise Kingdom, there was never anything that like struck me as like, wow, yeah, that mean, was
1: a really cool moment. With, with any Wes Anderson film, you just find a quirky 60s song and play it to slow motion of people walking and all of a sudden you've got a typical Wes Anderson shot, right? That's, I mean, that's true. <laughs> we had one of those in Moonrise Kingdom, not with a 60s pop song, but with some, a classical piece of music as they're leaving the church towards and it, the end. And, and, and it uh, just,
2: for some reason, it, it didn't... I think because for me that was kind of a comedic thing, and then using the music it just wasn't anything special, but in, but in Darjeeling Limited, that scene is kind of a ch- turning point when they're mm. playing that, and it just... It had more impact, yeah. I guess. Right. So, but Like I say, I, I think I'm one of the few people that, A, likes that movie, <laughs> mm-hmm. and B, would rank it above some of his other works.
1: If I had to kind of compile our list together, sounds like the one film that's probably going to be at the bottom or near the bottom of both of our collective list. I agree with you. It's Life Aquatic. Sure. It's probably the bigger disappointment because it was coming right off of Royal Tenenbaums. I was really excited when it came out. Mm -hmm. Saw the previews, very excited. Bill Murray got to kind of take the lead role in this one. Great cast. Jeff Goldblum's in it. Yeah, Um, I liked it better than you did. Um, I did find parts of it that I really responded to and enjoyed. But collectively, I think if you and I were to merge our list together, it looks like Life Aquatic would fall near the bottom. Um, and And I don't think either of us are that crazy about Bottle Rocket. I think Bottle Rocket's got some redeeming qualities to it. It is the least Wes Anderson style film just because it was so but early in his career. Yeah, it was, his first movie, it was a decent so. film. Sure. Um he hadn't really found his style yet in my mind. Right. Um he was still figuring that out. But right. it was at least an entertaining film. So overall, you know, I can't say I hate any of his films. I just I can say some of them are major disappointments for me compared to others. Right. Um very curious to see what he's doing next. Uh supposedly the word, the the word is the film he's working on Right now, it's called The Grand Budapest Hotel. And it stars, supposedly at this point, Johnny Depp and Jude Law
2: in there. And I've heard that Adrian Brody is also coming back, and Bill Murray, Jeff Goldblum. Owen Wilson. Edward Norton. Oh, wow.
1: we're <laughs> so, bringing everybody back for this. One.
2: So, yeah, he's going to have a lot of familiar people. All right.
1: So. Can we just go ahead and predict? It's probably going to be just like any of his other films. It will,
2: Unfortunately for you, yeah. I think it's probably going to be like Darjeeling Limited.
1: It's sounding more like it, more of a travel log, more of a mm-hmm. let's throw a whole bunch of people in here and put them in an interesting travel situation. And in a
2: and, weird location and yeah. all this kind of stuff. Yeah, know? that's what I'm a little worried
1: about. Right. <laughs> well, come on, Wes. You can do this. You can you can throw us a curveball. Do something completely out of character. He'll
2: reboot the Batman series. Oh. <laughs> Have
1: you seen the... Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Spider-Man, I think it the, was. Yeah. The, the Spider-Man, uh, there's a parody somebody did of a Spider-Man movie done by Wes Anderson. And yeah. it's just perfect. It kind of summarizes what it is we're saying. Right. There's a certain style. I like the style. I mm-hmm. just wish his style wasn't in every single one of his movies. Non-stop. Or that there was
2: a story that was without that went variation. along with the style. Yeah. Yeah. All right.
1: So that's been our Wes Anderson love slash hate fest. Uh, not really a lot of hate, mostly yeah. love, but still some things we, we hope the guy can do a little differently in the future. Um, we'd love to hear anybody else's thoughts on Moonrise Kingdom. So if you've got any other thoughts for us, let us know. And feel free to send us an email, drop us a line, visit us at demesh.tv. Look for Foot Candle Films and uh, drop us an email. Let us know what you're thinking about Wes Anderson as well. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will tackle a couple quick movie news items and our recommendation for you, uh, something you may want to check out if you're looking for a good movie this coming weekend. Uh, We'll have a couple of options for you to check out. Stay tuned.
0: Main Cellar City Club,
1: Hickory's premier music venue, is the place to go for music events, wedding dinners or receptions, company retreats, reunions, and more. Contact Main seller at 828-345-6246 or find us on Facebook and Twitter for all your entertainment updates. Okay, and we're back. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films. Uh, We had our Wes Anderson discussion in the first half of the show, Moonrise Kingdom review, and overall discussion of his body of work. Let's move on to some other non-Wes Anderson related items. Is that okay? Wait, there is non-Wes
2: no. Anderson stuff? Yeah, there are some <laughs>
1: movies being made that are not being made by <gasps> Wes Anderson. Okay. Um, let's try to find a couple of those okay. right now. Um, first thing I want to talk to you about, Chris, and you and I, there again, full disclosure, you and I have had a little bit of discussion about this film already. Okay. But I think it's a deep enough movie from the looks of it and an interesting enough movie that there's probably going to be a lot more to talk about. Okay. I've recently watched the very long, I think it's like four or five minute long preview for Cloud Atlas. Okay. This is the, uh, oh gosh, Wachowski Wachowski, Brothers. Well, we can't say Wachowski Brothers anymore. It's the Wachowski Children. Children, yes, siblings. (laughs) Siblings, Uh, there we go. Yes. uh, Where they are finishing up a very ambitious film. Uh, This is called Cloud Atlas. It is two hours and 45 minutes is what IMDb is already saying it is. Okay, that worries me. Here's the description. Let me just read you this description and tell you, let me know if this puts you with any more dread or hope at this point. An exploration of how the actions of individual lives impact one another in the past, present, and future. As one soul is shaped from a killer into a hero and an act of kindness ripples across centuries to inspire a revolution. Now, if you watch the, the elongated trailer of this, and there really is a four minute preview trailer of this film, what you see is two main characters are played by Tom Hanks, Hanks. and Halle Berry. Right. But they play multiple characters throughout the film at gotcha. different ages of society, different historical periods. It even looks like some of it takes place way in the future. Yeah. And there also appear to be two Japanese actors that are also playing some different roles and different time periods as well. Hugh Grant is playing a couple different characters. Hugo Weaving, who's from the Matrix trilogy, mm-hmm. is also uh, playing some different roles. Just kind of looks like it's all over the place. They're going for a very big metaphysical. You know, we're all connected. There's mm-hmm. one action ripples another, even across different timelines and different uh, periods of, of time. Uh, What do you think, Chris? I mean, is this... It it
2: sounds... (laughs) I am interested to see it. I probably will see it unless, you know, for some reason I hear it's a... I don't make it to the theater opening weekend. I hear it's a box office bomb. I'm interested to see it because it sounds so ambitious. Yes. And when filmmakers decide to make something so cerebral and crazy and all, you know, then that appeals to me more so than just a big budget action movie. You know, it sounds like they're really trying to hit a high watermark like this. You know, the matrix people are trying to make an Oscar movie. No, they are trying it, to make tree of life. Okay. And it, you know, an Oscar. So they're trying, they're trying to kind of make yeah. an Oscar movie that could, you know, I, I want to support that, but does it worry me? Yes. Because I've seen the trailer and it looks like a mess, but you know how to, how to pack all that into a trailer. That's going to make sense. You know, that's going to be, a, would it have been better for me to probably just show me a bunch of really cool images and make me think, ooh, that seems interesting? That probably would have worked better for me because that would have attracted me. Whereas I think they were trying to explain too much, mm-hmm. you know, say, like, okay, general public, this is what our movie is going to be about. And I, that was kind of like a red flag, like, yeah. this is how confusing this movie is going to be.
1: <laughs> so. Well, I think the Wachowski siblings have a little bit of, kind of a little bit of a backlash against them right now. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think because they did the Matrix and right. were just revered for a great film, the first one, the first, right. <laughs> yeah. Then they did the second, and third one. I think they lost a lot of that good favor with the general moviegoing public. Definitely by two. the third,
2: the yeah. second I think was yeah, okay, but was horrible, yeah,
1: horrible. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I think by that point they had kind of used up all the goodwill they'd built up with the film community.
2: Then, then they, they made Speed Racer. Speed
1: Racer, which I'll say I really like Speed Racer. Oh, I thought it was I thought fun. It was fun. It was but fun. most people hated it. Uh, most people thought it was seizure-inducing. Uh,
2: yeah, it was just. Uh, I liked
1: it a lot. I thought it was fun. My kids enjoyed it. We had a good time with it. It's just it did not build up any more of that film critic goodwill.
2: No, I don't. So, I don't want to see it again. But I thought it yeah. was fun. While I was in. The so theater. now here they are
1: going into a film where a here's a couple things going for it. A it's an extremely long film. Looks like it's going to be. B a very complex film. It's based on a book. Based on a book, but also C there are actually three directors on this film. Do you know that? No. You got the Wachowski brother, sister. Got you. And you've also got Tom Tickor, um oh. who did Run, Lola, Run. He's done a couple other things, I believe. Yeah, the perfume. Three of, <laughs> the three of them are directing this all together.
2: Hmm.
1: Interesting. So I would imagine they probably have split out parts of the film, different storylines to direct. But Right. Um, that makes it kind of interesting as well. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I think… Uh, it's ambitious. Ambitious. And I'm homegrown um, with that. I'm kind of, I think that you described it pretty well when we talked at lunch the other day. You said this is either going to be a great Oscar-winning film or it's going to be a nightmare disaster. Yeah, and I'm with you on that. I'm curious to see which way it goes. I'm pulling for it. Yeah, I'm pull. I pull for any ambitious film that really tries to do something different. But this does have the makings of a horrible, horrible disaster if it doesn't work right.
2: Like, um, Senectity, New York. Mm-hmm. You know that I, I won. I had really high hopes for that film, and I went to see it. And I liked it, but it's not perfect, but I admire it for the ambition that it was going after. And I still like it, but it's just so convoluted and kind of But
1: nobody, if somebody, nobody walks away from that film saying, oh my gosh, that movie was a disaster. It's just, you just walk away saying, "Eh, it didn't work for me, maybe. right. Cloud Atlas, not only the budget that's (laughs) got to be involved in this film, (laughs) the number of stars and the ambition and the fact that it is the Wachowski brother, sister involved, which they carry with it a lot of ambition and expectations to some degree sure that's where this thing could be a big disaster um i I hope not i hope not i love good sci-fi i like really good thought-provoking films i love the tree of life if they're trying to make this their tree of life something bigger uh, than the just them and something very thought-provoking and going after some critical acclaim more power to them let's hope it works so we'll Mm -hmm. see
2: Chris, did you have an item for us? I actually do. Um, just real quick, I've heard that someone is getting their biography made into a documentary. Now, in general, biographies, documentaries can be kind of boring, but specifically Roger Ebert – is having his memoir made into a documentary, and Steve James, the guy who did Hoop Dreams, who's also from Chicago, like Roger Ebert, he's going to direct it. Now, it's
1: a true documentary. Yes. Okay, so not a dramatization of his life, but more of a true documentary. Right. Of
2: they're going to take life. the book and use that as kind of, I guess, the okay. screenplay. If you could do that I'd for I'd be a much
1: more in favor of that than some some dramatization of his, his a docudrama.
2: And Martin Scorsese is executive producing. Oh, perfect. Yes. No, that's so that's great. I'm really excited about that. You
1: know, Roger Ebert, going into the whole film critic thing a little bit, I I don't agree with all of his his reviews. Actually, Hmm. I'm probably half and half with his take on films. Yeah, a lot of times. Huh. I'll read his reviews. I think they're extremely well-made
2: reviews. I love
1: reading the reviews. Don't always agree with where he's going with a film. Um, But I do think as far as somebody to sit down and read his words— his film reviews have probably the most thought put into them. Got you. And I enjoy that. Even Mm -hmm. if it's a film where I completely disagree with him, I respect him for the words he uses. Um, Because of the, the, the the health and physical issues he's gone through over the years, I'm glad they're not turning that into some sort of acted out docudrama. I just, I just don't think that would work. Um, And he's such a personality. I think, uh, Trying to get somebody to play him in a in a film. Right. I just don't know if that's going to work. But knowing it's a documentary, that's very interesting. Because he does have a very interesting life outside of just being a movie critic. Uh, not only with his personal health issues and things that have basically – he's not able to speak anymore. Right. Um, which for a film critic, that's it's pretty amazing. Right. Uh, to think that you, know, you now have to control everything just through your words that you type. Through the web. As yeah. opposed to what you can say. But his history with the at the movies TV show, mm-hmm. all the ups and downs that shows had, the fact that he was actually involved in film production for a while with uh, was it, um, what was the the film back in the seventies? Valley the, of the uh, Dolls. Valley of the Dolls. Yeah, he had a key role in helping bring that film to life.
2: You know, just a lot of there's a lot of He's story got a lot there going here. on. So and as I'd someone be, who likes movies, yeah. you know. I'd be yeah. very
1: interested to see that documentary. Um, I do follow him on Facebook and Twitter and all that and generally will find myself clicking to whatever he's whatever article he's posted up to read so mm. good that should be fun yeah um to go completely 180 from that do you like godzilla no oh, boy. okay well this is going to be a short conversation <laughs> um so godzilla all right now, now when i asked you do you like godzilla i'm not talking about the 1998 uh a, Roger, a Roland Emmerich film, you know, with Matthew Broderick. Right. I'm talking about Godzilla as a concept, and you're still not...
2: I'm not on really that. on board with it. Mm. But, you know, depending on... I'm assuming they must be making yet another movie.
1: Try they are. and he's uh, doing it? Gareth Edwards.
2: Okay. I you don't, don't know,
1: know him do, at all, do no, you? No, I do not. Should Did I? Did you see the film Monsters?
2: Uh, No. But okay, I've, we'll I think I've heard uh, that
1: it's good, though. Well, we're going to save that for my recommendation a little bit later. Okay. We'll come back to that. Okay. But... He did a film in 2010 called Monsters, which I will talk about in a moment. Okay. But uh, other than that, he hasn't really done anything. Okay. But the film Monsters, if you see it and you imagine how that could be translated to a Godzilla movie, it becomes extremely interesting. Okay. Um, I'll just say this about Monsters. Monsters focused more on the characters Mm -hmm. that were being affected by these monsters Mm -hmm. than just let's throw a whole bunch of explosions and a bunch of monsters walking around. Gotcha. And it was a good character study of two people put through a situation where there is monsters on the loose and they're having to cope with that. And it was a very low budget, very well done film. Okay. I encourage you to see it and I'll talk about it maybe a bit more in my recommendation as well, but he is doing a remake of Godzilla is supposedly a more of a traditional remake of the Japanese film not a whole nother take. It's even the movie poster for it has the Japanese symbol kind of faint in the background behind the word Godzilla. So they're really hmm. trying to go back to the original 1950s Japanese classic, uh, which was more of a, it was almost more of a cautionary tale back then when it came out about okay. the dangers of nuclear war, the dangers of experimentation with, uh, all this stuff. So I'm,
2: hmm.
1: I'm interested. I love Godzilla. I love monster mm-hmm. movies. I love giant, monsters stomping through a city and crushing things. I think that's great to fun to watch. I would like to see an intelligent Godzilla movie that really is enjoyable. Makes you think I would too. And from what I've seen in monsters and with this director, this is our best shot at getting that probably right now. Okay. So it's a 2014 film. We're still a ways off early, early production on this. Um, David Goyer is doing the screenplay who he has done a lot of good films. Yep. He did the Batman films. So I kind of get the impression it's almost a Batman Begins feel to Godzilla. Interesting. Let's make it as grounded and realistic as possible hopefully. Let's make it have a lot more to say than just a big lizard stomping around the city and let's make it really interesting with the characters that are involved. Hmm. could be could be fun. Yeah. So I'll be looking for that. I'm definitely going to be following that one and trying to keep up with that. Cool. So that is some of our best movie news, things we've been kind of checking and keeping our eye on, a good diversity of, of things that we're, we're interested in at that point. So let's, let's wrap up the show, Chris, by just going right into our recommendations. And we know there's a lot of people out there listening. Uh, going to the movie theater, as much as we love it, is also extremely expensive. Yeah. So we try to make sure we give out some recommendations that are films that you could either find at Redbox, on iTunes. Uh, Netflix, wherever it may be. Mm-hmm. So Chris, let me turn it over to you. What do you got for us?
2: I'm going to highly recommend the 2011 movie 50, 50 hmm. with uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt yes. and Seth Rogen. Okay. I have not seen this one. That is, it's good. Um, it basically, uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt is a person who he's like an NPR person does stories for NPR and he is diagnosed with cancer. And he basically is given a 50-50 chance. Hmm. And his best friend, Seth Rogen, is there and tries to help him navigate having cancer and the whole experience. And I found it to be a very realistic portrayal of what it would be like if you were having to deal with this. But yet it didn't just—it's not just a depressing movie and doesn't drag you down. I mean, yes, there are very serious— Humbling things that happen. But it was just very well done. It kind of walked the line between being so depressing you don't even want to see it once and never see it again. And being, it's not like, you know, Knocked Up or a 40 year old virgin mm-hmm. where it's like a Seth Rogen picture where he's like walking around just being stupid the whole time. Yes, there is a lot of Seth Rogen ness in it, but it's really balanced with the subject matter. And that kind of helps the movie be the success that it was for me. Well, so I, I highly recommend
1: it. I was curious about this film because, you know, anytime you try to throw a very serious subject matter into more of a comedic film, mm-hmm. you always run that risk of tipping it one way or another too much. You know, you don't want a boring, depressing movie that just has a few light moments sprinkled in. Right. But then you don't want a film that makes complete light of a situation and downplays the drama involved. So you're saying this one did a pretty good job of balancing that.
2: Yeah. And and in addition, I've probably complained before on the show about how things can be really hit you over the head with mm. things and it seems really didactic and stuff. This one, I didn't feel like it did, I guess because it had enough comedic elements that it was just very well balanced. Mm. That's so i I recommend it.
1: Very nice. Very nice. Good. I, that's actually one I've been meaning to check out for quite a while now. So um, I'm actually going to squeeze in two and they're going to be really quick because okay. one I've already talked about, and that was monsters by uh, Gareth Edwards. Uh, I will tell you this. If you go in expecting a high octane, uh, fun-filled, like a lot of energy film. Yeah, this isn't it. This is very slow.
2: Did it? It's, is it? Does it use the handheld aesthetic or not? A little bit, but it's not
1: a. It's not a found footage film. It's okay. not like we okay. found a bunch of footage laying around. This is okay. shot. It's a very independent, low-budget film. Okay. And the times you do see the monsters, it's a little shocking because you've been used to seeing this very grounded, real this this, uh, girl and uh, girl and guy kind of trying to survive together. And then all of a sudden, like out of the blue, there's a big monster and that Hmm. kind of freaks you out a little bit. Um, (laughs) But the idea here is supposedly there has been an alien invasion so many years ago on earth. And now, so it's like district nine, a little bit. um, there's an infected zone in Mexico. And because of the alien invasion, these parts of the world are now infected. They're kind of a lockdown thing. And if you live in that area, you can't get out. So people are trying to escape. They're trying to get to the safety of the U S border and get out of these infected zones because of this alien invasion Hmm. six years ago. Okay. It's a very kind of high concept thing, but basically we're just following two characters as they're trying to make their way to the U S however they can. Okay. To get out of this infected zone area. And, um, you know, the, the monsters are very scarce. They're very few and far between when we see them. We spend most of our time with these two characters, their dialogue, their interactions. But when the monsters do appear, it's, it, it's pretty thrilling stuff. Okay. Um, I think it's worth a watch just because it is different. It's, sure. it's, it's, it's a little more inventive than other monster big-blood uh, big films we're so used to. Plus, there again, having talked about Godzilla, yeah. I'd love for you to see this film and think about it in terms of what if a big budget monster movie was actually done more in this style and would it work?
2: Maybe I'll save that for my Halloween movie because I always oh, watch a yeah. scary movie on Halloween. Maybe I'll save monsters for that. It's slow. Okay. okay. It's
1: methodical. It is not going to keep the thrills going a mile a minute. It's very, right. very slow paced, but it's fun. It's interesting to watch, I think. Okay. The second one I'll talk about and really thinking about Luke Wilson and the Wilson brothers in our Wes Anderson discussion earlier, Mm -hmm. he works a lot with the, the Wilson brothers. They've actually helped even write some of the stuff with them before. Sure. Uh, got me immediately thinking about idiocracy. (sighs) I, uh, and the main reason that's on the top of my brain is because I've actually gone back and watched parts of this film recently, uh, for a, a project I was working on anyway. And, this movie, a 2006 film, and it's by uh, um, Mike Judge, Mike Judge yeah. who Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill cartoons, this was his first live-action film that he wrote and directed. And it tells the story of an army private who was really defined to be the most average American there was, both mm-hmm. intelligence, looks, everything. He was selected to be a guinea pig in this top-secret hibernation program. They were going to put him in hibernation and wake him up 500 years in the future and see how, what happens. Right. So he signs up for this thing. I don't know why, but he basically goes, and that's what happens. He wakes up in the future 500 years from now. And he finds a society that has gotten so incredibly dumb <laughs> that now he is a genius. And it sounds like a funny concept, obviously. smart. And it is average guy who's now seen smart, but he's with a, a whole nation of idiots, but there's so much going on in this film. Oh, yeah. Social commentary on where we're going as a society. I actually think this is one of the scariest films yeah. I've seen.
2: Yeah. Because Because there are
1: moments moments in this film where I think, oh my gosh, we're only two or three years away from that happening. Um, The fact that Walmart is now like its own city Mm -hmm. and there are people that get lost in the Walmart and you Mm -hmm. have to have like a guidepost map to get around the Walmart. There's a time travel machine in the back of the Walmart that people forgot (laughs) that they invented years ago. And it just happens (laughs) to be back in the very back aisle of the Walmart. (laughs) Right. Um,
2: they used Gatorade to water plants? Yes, because they thought <laughs>
1: electrolytes were, like, Magic. things that would help <laughs> plants grow. Um, and they're wondering why all their crops are dying and all. It's, um, genius. it's a real crazy film. But, yes, it's very crude. Yes, it's not one for the kids. It's It's got a lot of risque stuff going on sure. in it. But the social commentary, I actually think any college student studying uh, sociology mm. and studying, you know, a future economy and everything all to be watching this film, because there's a lot of truths in this film about where we could be heading. And it's really scary.
2: I, I really liked idiocracy as well. And it reminds me, I'll do a brief throwback to one of our other foot candle shows foot candle spotlight, actually, where you discussed Ted. And I was asking, you know, if I'm not a big fan of Seth MacFarlane, would I like Ted? And we discussed that with this film. I would say, if you're not a big fan of Beavis and butthead, if you're not a big fan of King of the Hill, don't let that scare you. No, yeah. Because I, I was never a big fan of either one of those. And I loved Idiocracy. Yeah. So just because it's Mike Judge, you're like, oh, Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. I don't, I'm not down with that. Don't let that steer well, you away. Well, the fact
1: of the matter is that, you know, you're right. Even King of the Hill and, uh, and Beavis and Butthead had a lot more going for it than most people give those shows right. credit for. They do, yeah. It showed that Mike Judge was really, had an interesting mind and sure. an interesting commentary on the society around us. It's just with idiocracy, he got to take it all the way out he wanted to go. And no, parts of the film don't work. There's some parts that fall flat. There's some humor that's just kind of really dumb. But, man, some of the scenes, though, are just really hit too far close to home. Mm -hmm. Um, Even the first 10 minutes where they basically set up this society and what's happened from now to 500 years from now, what's caused our society to get so dumb those are the things you look at and you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, I totally could see how that could happen. So, anyway, it's a fun but scary film to watch <laughs> if you're at all concerned about the future of our world. Yeah. Um, so, we gave a few few uh, films out there to check out. You've got Monsters, if you're interested in a very different take on a monster film, Idiocracy, if you're worried and scared about our future as a society. And then we also had 5050, which sounded like a good comedy slash drama uh, well done good balance to the film there as well Mm -hmm. good good variety there yeah so I guess we're done we'll wrap it up the official Wes Anderson episode is now complete (laughs) we are uh, uh, hope you get a chance to go out and check out Moonrise Kingdom and let us know your thoughts on it as well also uh, you think we're totally right or wrong in our picks for the best or worst Wes Anderson films let us know that too or uh, we'd love to get into an argument with you about any of those (laughs) uh, comments you've got to make and then other films that you think we ought to be keeping on the radar, maybe ones that you are curious if we've seen or would be interested in seeing, just drop us a line. You can do that at info at themesh.tv. You can go to the mesh.tv website and fill out the contact form. Or if you're curious about us as Foot Candle, we're a film society here in western North Carolina showing films at a local theater, trying to bring some more interesting films to the community. You can check us out at FootCandle.org. That's where we post what films we're going to be showing in our screenings. That'll also give you a little bit of insight in what film we'll probably be reviewing in the coming month as well. Uh, So with that, we're going to wrap it up. Special thanks to our sponsor, Main City Club, for helping support the show and supporting the mesh in general. Look us up on iTunes. Give us some star ratings. Give us some comment reviews if you can. That always helps to help other people find our show a little easier. And with that, we'll wrap it up. Chris? Look forward to talking movies next month with you. Definitely. All right. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next month.
0: Check us out online at TheMesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.
1: Who's going to open it?
2: Well, I don't have like an introduction to the film. Like, you know, you know, like to the segment, but... uh.
1: If you want me to introduce the film and and when we come back... Actually, I don't think
2: I've ever opened the show, so I can... (laughs) I could, yep, I could open yeah, the show. Let me just jot down the rundown. So I guess I'm ready. <laughs> I'll give it a shot. <laughs> if it comes to a screeching halt, then we'll just let you do it. All right. We're going to start in three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to Foot Candle Films. This is Chris Fry, and I'm here with...
1: Oh, Alan Jackson. Sorry. <laughs> <Whoa>. Hi. I <laughs> dozed off there for a second. <laughs> Have I mentioned idiocracy as a recommendation before,
2: I don't know. I mean, Where, I think we've mentioned the film, maybe, but I don't know that we've. Where's our Where's our note taker? Yeah, where's our intern? Don't we have
1: a wiki blog or something?
2: <laughs> yeah, don't <laughs> we have a Wikipedia page?
1: You want me to come back, or are you coming back? Yeah, you
2: can come back. Right. You're a better host. Nah. <laughs> I'm a parasite. <laughs>